Welcome to Culture Factor. I'm your producer and host, Holly Shannon. Our new season looks at creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs. Why? Because the creator and gig economy is emerging. Talent has gone to work for themselves. The new year starts with the 101, or the beginner guide, for NFTs, blockchain, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and all those metaverse and Web3 topics we keep hearing about. We are all going back to school on Culture Factor to understand this decentralized economy. From creator coins to the tax implications of selling crypto, let's unpack these emerging technologies in really simple terms. Join me and feel free to send in your questions. Would your brand like to sponsor Culture Factor? It is your opportunity to be a part of a podcast that is ranked in the top 2% globally and heard in over 89 countries. Email holly at hollyshannon.com. Subscribe to Culture Factor and share with a friend now. Okay, let's start with our class. Let's get our next guest on. So hello, everybody. Welcome to Culture Factor. Um, We are live in Clubhouse for my podcast, Culture Factor. And um, I'm here today with Ted Rivera. And I hope that we can distill down a few ideas and make them more accessible to everybody. So um, without further ado, let me share with you that Ted Rivera is a writer, a producer, director, and founder of My Music Video Streaming. My Movie's production and content monetization and Teatro Movie and Television Streaming platforms built on Bitcoin SV protocol. And that was a mouthful. So I think I'm going to let Ted do a little bit of his own intro. Um, But hello and welcome to Culture Factor, Ted. Holly, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really, really grateful to have this opportunity to share. Excellent. So maybe I can ask you to give us a little bit of a bio that um, we could all understand your background a little more. My background is in film and television, and I started on the Disney lot as a development assistant to Alexandra Rose. She produced The Other Sister, Frankie and Johnny, Overboard, really good movies. I really learned how to read movies. Um, I went from there to production at Roger Corman's studio, eventually produced Dino Croc for the Sci-Fi Channel, and then got into sales, international sales. When my kids were born, I, I left the business to be a parent and uh, I just started selling movies. But I understood the contract space from beginning to end, and lo and behold, 18 years later, blockchain was invented, and, and it it became an opportunity for me to look back at the space and see how I could use the technology to empower creatives and in, in, in industries that weren't necessarily fair. So mm. that's sort of my background. Excellent. So it probably just brings me right to the first question um, pretty neatly. So thank you for packaging that up for me. <laughs> um, would you like to share with us um your explanation of blockchain, because obviously um, that's what you said started to build uh, where, where you're headed with your business. Right, right. In in discovering blockchain, I started simply with a, a, a document, 70-page document, IBM Blockchain for Dummies, at, at the request of a friend who works at IBM, said it was going to change the world, that I should look into it. And upon reading it, having understood the the movie industry in a contract space, I I immediately saw the opportunities to do what blockchain was intended to do, 
to eliminate business friction and to remove unnecessary intermediaries. And that doesn't mean everybody. It just means those that are taking from the value that the creatives truly hold with their art. So um, blockchain is a ledger. It's an accounting system. It's a third party witness that is timestamped that is immutable and proves that a transaction happened and it's transparent to a certain extent where people can see how the money moves from wallet to wallet and so a, a block is is just a, a file of transactions and the bigger the block is the more transactions you can put in a block and um, if machines are computing the blocks and competing for what's called a block reward, the incentive for the computers to transact the process, then the block would be submitted to the chain. The chain would be dispersed to all the computers and there would be a record of the transactions in that block. So that's why it's called a blockchain because it's a chain of these continuous blocks that hold transactions that are timestamped, that are a record of two parties or multiple parties transacting. And then that information is a third party witness for any disputes or any, any, any argument in the process, you have a witness. So it, it, it really solves a lot of problems. And one of the problems it solves is the double spend and what a double spend is. And we've all paid $35 to the bank because we spent some money over here and then another account cleared over here and there was not enough in the account. So it was double spent. And so in the future, this simple problem is fixed when, when, and if the banks decide not to take the billions of dollars in overdraft fees. So it's still early in the game, but that that's my basic understanding of blockchain, a third party witness, to the transaction that is immutable, meaning forever, as long as the machines are producing this information and that it is a witness for the transaction. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. Um, it, it makes me bring up two different things. So um, third-party witness that would technically used to be um, like maybe in your industry, in the music industry, like an A&R Records or a Universal that would take their chunk um, so now that is eliminated out of this equation. Is that correct? Right. And we've seen, we've seen filmmakers having to use high paid accountants and lawyers to go after the bookkeeping process and audit it and discover hundreds of millions of dollars were owed to them. So without a transparent third party witness, you never know what's happening until you either have recourse within your contract to, to audit or sue for the right to have the information. So what the blockchain will do is eliminate a lot of those problems. Well, and it's not even that people were stealing money. It's just the contracts that were put in place for musicians or artists or, you know, whatever business you're in, um, you know, you sign a contract and they, they take a good portion of, the money, like of the, the money that was realized from that particular artist. So this right. is an opportunity to also eliminate that as well. Is that correct? Right. Well, basically how movies are made are that the fans pay tickets and purchase movies and the studios receive that money and then they give that money to artists to finance. And so 
what what the blockchain could do is if you can build a large enough audience you can go right to the fans and ensure them that their ownership is is there and you can you can remove the studio from the process they're basically a third party intermediary between the fans and the artists and they're a finance mechanism by which the artists can get money to to make their content and so this is what spawned my idea to create my movies movie studio that if if somebody with a good social media footprint was to allow access to the information by the fans and investors alike and investors i mean legal investors with securities exemptions in place that the process would be transparent and 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 the money would be known by everybody and as long as everybody was in agreement it doesn't matter if everybody knows what's happening with the money because that's why they're there right Right. So, so my movie studio is essentially um, a blockchain that you created. No, I, I build on a, a public blockchain called Bitcoin SV. It's the third. It's the third of three Bitcoin blockchains that are competitively mined. They're they're. Their fees are extremely low and the block size is large enough to where we have instantaneous payments and at a, on our fee, which other people call gas, is point zero 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 five of a, of, of a dollar. So it's, it's, it's under the, under the thousandth of a penny per transaction. And so by building on this protocol, we can create a file cabinet, a file system that in order to call up files, whether they be JPEGs or, or MP4s or text files, PDFs, in order to access that information, you'll pay a micropayment. And, and the micropayment can range from 0 .005 up to thousands of dollars if the information has a demand that warrants that price. So we have an ability to now open up our media files and and sell them to the public before we even finance a movie so that artists can now whether you're a storyboard artist a screenwriter uh, a set builder uh, a creature animator you have all this information you have all these pictures and you you give it away for free with the hopes that people will hire you so now you can monetize that data and hopefully receive some sort of revenue in the process that's really cool setup. I, I love that a lot. You know, I didn't I didn't expect to dive into your business so early in our conversation, but I glad I, I'm glad I did because I think it's giving context to um, how blockchain and Bitcoin and how your contracts work. So I'm I'm glad we did that. Um, let me ask you if you could maybe dive in a little bit more on the conversation around NFTs because not everybody's in the music business, which usually is an MP3 file, an audio file, and maybe it doesn't behave any differently, but for somebody who's producing an NFT and maybe starting with a JPEG, um, I would, I'd love to go down that. So sorry, very long question here, but I, I would love for your description of NFT and how that might work um, in the context of your business. Right. Well, the basic definition of an NFT is there are unique cryptographic tokens that cannot be replicated. And what that means is that there's a computational process by which the amount of tokens created is posted to the blockchain ledger. 
and that's all it is. So you can create a work of art. You can, whether you use a generative process and create 10,000 pieces, or you have a one of one of a, a picture of a hand painting that is attached to the physical painting, you, you create a, a, an entry on the ledger. And then you're negotiating for that entry on the ledger. So the ownership at the mint, if this makes sense, is when I mint a one of one, it is posted to the ledger. It establishes me as the owner. And then as I negotiate peer to peer for cryptocurrency as the cash mechanism, the, the accounting ledger will change ownership. So when you send cryptocurrency from one wallet to another wallet, for the code that explains the transfer of ownership, then now on the next block, you, the new owner is listed and the location of the file is listed. And now you have a, a, a third party record that establishes at least a purchase in this case. And so what I mean is right now we're so early in the space that basically it's a receipt for the most part. When you when you do business on OpenSea, a lot of these images, you get a receipt, meaning money was changed from one wallet to another wallet for this file. This file went from this location to this location, and now you have a record that you were there and that you purchased it. But I guess it brings up a couple of questions. Is like, what do you really own? Now, I wouldn't, but I can go to OpenSea. I can find anyone's individual profile in OpenSea and I can see the tokens they purchased and I could either right click or screenshot their image and then I could post it as my PTR. Again, I wouldn't do this, but it's possible because at this stage in the game, it's so early, ownership is not defined. It's a purchase of an image at this point. And so I just want people to understand that the metadata is important and metadata is just the, 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 the alphanumeric text associated with the file that explains more stuff than what's seen on the surface. So if you have contracts that are in there that describe ownership, then that's probably a better purchase. If you have uh, words in that contract that explain the ancillary rights that you have, whether you can create your own work after the fact, or you can create TV shows with animated characters. All of this needs to be stipulated in the contract. And so what, you know, we have so early in the game is a very creative way for artists to monetize their artwork, to receive revenue streams that they wouldn't otherwise have. And we're really going into this thing, not knowing the full potential of the technology, but to a certain extent with some of this some of this activity it's not necessary because we're really supporting the artist in any way to get the money to the artist we're okay with that and if somebody takes my ptr and uses it as at theirs what is the breach what is the economic loss and is it worth a lawsuit so we have all these things to consider if that makes sense does yeah, it? no, it does. It does. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering, so in these smart contracts, these artists that have all their work on OpenSea or Rarible or any of these platforms, they need to build in what the future could be as well. So they have to kind of be aware of the fact that like their character that they create could end up in some animated series if somebody has bought their NFT and there's nothing in the language to say that they can't do that? 
You know, I'm not an entertainment lawyer, but I think it, it may even benefit the artist because the the person did not purchase the actual rights. So the compensation may return to the artist if the project was successful. Again, I'm not an entertainment lawyer, but unless you have a written right from the creator to use the content in that way, you don't have the right. So I think it's a double-edged sword. Um, what we do know is that the non-fungible tokens were intended to be unique. Um, the metadata describes what you're purchasing. Um, they, they're meant to be transferable, meaning you should be able to have a secondary market for this, this, this information and ownable to provide ownership, true ownership in the terms of contracts and then indivisible. You, once you have an NFT, you, you theoretically aren't breaking it up into smaller versions of itself. So that's just the basics of, of NFTs. And, and, and I think the best way I can describe it is right now, given the sophistication of the technology and what the technology is capable of, that, you know, what we basically see is graffiti right now. People are, people are throwing their art up on the wall. It's not being taken down. It's being sold and negotiated for. And it's a beautiful day for artists to truly finally realize a revenue stream. I won't take anything away from them. What we're going to see in the future is a more automated society as a result of the NFTs that are used in, in the capacities in which they were intended, you know, and we, and we can get into all that, but basically it's high value goods. You, you can establish ownership of a, of a Louis Vuitton bag. If you're going through an airport in Canada, it's illegal to have stolen um, goods of that value. So you can prove your ownership or somebody can prove it was stolen. And what that means is it's, it's no, it, it, there's 10,000 bags being made from a factory. That's the order. The bat, the factory usually creates 20,000 bags. 10,000 will go to Louis Vuitton retailers and 10,000 will hit the black market. It's not fair to Louis Vuitton. It's not fair to the, the purchasers of the, of the bag at the higher price. And they're the same bag. So high value goods will experience control and access to information, tickets and vouchers. Scalping will be eliminated in the future with this technology, shipping documents and the whole trillion dollar industry that is moving goods and services around the world. All these will eventually be affected by the true intention of NFTs. It's just amazing to see how the artists have, for lack of a better term, hijacked the technology for their own means. And I support that as long as it's legal, I support it. Very interesting. So a couple things pop up here. Um, I want to just go back for a second. You said PTR, which in, in clubhouse vernacular is pull to refresh. Um, is that the same thing as a PFP, a profile you picture? No, I'm, I'm ignorant. I thought the PTR was the... Um the image, the PFP. See, so there's all those new yeah. tech, all these yeah, new yeah, acronyms. I've been in Clubhouse a few months, and I hear, "Look at my PTR, look at my PTR." So, oh, you know what I think they're doing? Um, just for people to know, when people change their profile picture in Clubhouse, everybody needs to do a pull to refresh for that new image to come up as okay, the cool. avatar. I think that's what they meant, but. 
Everybody learns today. Yes, they do. Um, But going back to PFP, which stands for your profile picture, I think what you're talking about, what you meant, was that if somebody can just go on OpenSea and copy a piece of art they find interesting and then put it on their profile, they're essentially counterfeiting. They haven't bought um, that NFT And I believe Twitter just posted a a week ago that there is like a a little pay feature they're putting in for Twitter blue, um, you know, customers that they can change their avatar to be this PFP that they bought, this NFT that they bought and is now their new profile picture. And it changes the... Um, circumference of the profile picture. So it makes it like a hexagon. And that is like giving it a verified kind of like, uh, you know, it's checkmark in the blockchain that, that you have bought that NFT. I don't know if you heard about that. Well, you know, and it may be trivial, but it's, 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 I can still take a screenshot, I can take it and crop it, and I can do whatever I want with the image to a certain extent. Now, if there was digital watermarks and authenticity and encryption, you know, those are, those are technologies that need to be deployed. But as, as individuals with, without deep pockets, we just are taking advantage of the process as it is and trusting the system. If you sell out 10,000, tokens and you realize that revenue at some point do you really care what happens after the fact if you really were in it to 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 make money you know i think and and to be clear i think everybody's in this space to to make money to earn revenue so there's still this gray area there's still this um there's still this ownership problem there's still a, a a theft problem and and so whatever that means to the individuals again as long as the artists are finding value and as long as the purchasers are gaining utility then that that's probably the most important part right now you know i agree so um let's talk a little bit actually then about utility because you brought up uh, an interesting uh, perspective with the Louis Vuitton bag. And ironically, I had this conversation with Brian Fonzo, who has um, a podcast as well, NFT365. So shout out to Brian there. Um, he actually, this Thursday is part two of our interview. And we did talk about the utility aspect and specifically with Louis Vuitton bags. So it's so great that you bring that up. And I'd love to uh, dive in a little bit further because I think utilities are where the magic is. Um, at least me coming from the experience space, I believe that. And it sounds like um, you believe that NFTs are almost underutilized in their present state and that the magic is in the utility. So do you, could I ask you to dive into that? Yeah, basically utility is the value, the perceived value, the joy, the enjoyment, the functionality, the benefits, all those things that are after the fact. And I think I mentioned that earlier that we we were, we're talking about a, a, a market that is significantly reduced. And so now the pressure's on and the competition is higher for people to just purchase right now, right? Gas, gas is 
is high to begin with on Ethereum, and so now with the current prices, it's it's double what it used to be in real dollar terms. So now, how do we compete after whether it be an uh, uh, an image of Animal X or an image of of Landscape Y? 10,000 versions of it, what is the utility that's being provided? And so in the case of the Louis Vuitton, the utility is is ownership and true value that 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 it, there's a theft, there's an anti-theft mechanism built in. There's a there's a system to validate resale. If you want to sell a Rolex and you have a Rolex, there's ways to go and trace the the serial numbers and then you got to go find a website and but you're not going to get the previous owner's name on that website so eventually if a, if an nft accompanies a rolex or a louis vuitton if you want to resell it there you you can be ensured that you're purchasing the louis vuitton nft as well and that that would give you a, a, a confidence that your your value is there so the utility for artists would would be more around um what what else does the artist have to offer the purchaser and so for most of the artists there's an artistic process and that artistic process is unseen as artists is, they sketch they design, they take pictures, they they get inspired, they take walks, they take videos, and they have all this information that we call data that they can offer as part of the utility of the purchase. And for me, what we what we believe for our NFTs that they're access. They, that you can, for a music artist who's going to go into the studio, they're going to collaborate in meetings, they're going to produce beats, they're going to audition singers, rappers, have musicians on board. All this data is being generated. So you t- further utility beyond the song would be access to that process. So we can now live stream recording sessions. We can live stream um the, the engineering and mixing sessions, we can screen capture and we can do all these things to to now use the token as an access token as well. So you have music as the primary function of the token, you have rights and, and ownership, whether you own the right to stream it for your personal enjoyment, you can purchase synchronization rights, you can do a co-production deal and create new content with different artists and split the money instantaneously with the purchase of the token and all of these things are added utility so what we're going to find right now is that that this is this is the bubble how many more generative art projects are going to be successful given how many of these personal images have we used in the last six months right with the current prices the competition is what's going to increase so i'm just encouraging artists to discover utility and discover ways to give the purchaser more access to them whether it be their their process or their 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 ideas or their knowledge in the form of teaching and and all these ideas that that we need to develop to give our purchasers added value for for their content right Mm -hmm. so they're not just purchasing the nft and walking away they they in perpetuity receive benefits um, and experiences to um, engage them to maybe buy future nfts of your work and so forth did I understand right, that right? Right. And you can now 
you know, now that you've built this audience and this fan base we call community, this market, these customers, to use the correct term, that that now they know the next process is going to be just as enjoyable. They're already familiar with how it goes down and they want to see the next one. And so maybe they'll pay a little more and maybe you can start to to use demand and, and instead of uh, tricks like scarcity and and one of ones and these ideas that 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 create a value that may not be intrinsic but would be perceived as as almost um, an investment and that's one of the subjects that I like to discuss is that um, you know anybody talking about if you buy this you'll make money we need to understand that we're we're in we're involving language that is mostly used in the securities industry and so you might have success but at some point if you have a lot of success and you come up on the radar and and there's a data trail of your communications that indicate that the howey test can be applied and that you're offering an investment there are a core group of people and all these all these things that 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 are securities that that there's a there's a problem there and so you know part of what i educate people in is that if you're going to do it, do it. But if you're going to do it, do it right. And if you're going to talk about an investment, start an LLC, get an attorney, go to a crowdfund platform, an equity crowdfund platform, get a broker, and then tell people, if you purchase this, here's our business model, you can make money. And so there's a there's a fine line there. And I also want people to be conscious of that. But it's okay if that's the way you want to create your art. I, I mean, I can see that direction, I think for the purist, it probably, they're trying to find the right language to use so it doesn't come off that way. Yeah. And I think the right language is help support my, my art, my art, help support me. If you buy this, I'm only creating one of these. It's beautiful. I'm going to make 10,000 of these so other people can enjoy my art as well. And, and, and let the market determine the value and let the market create the value as far as the increase in wealth beyond the, the purchase, right? But to tell people, get in now, invest now, that, that's legal. I just wanted everybody to be clear about that. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I appreciate that. I'm often asked, does my business need a podcast? My answer is yes that nothing else is the fast track into thought leadership and being established and seen as the expert in your industry as podcasting. What's increasingly evident is that it's a branding machine. It kicks doors open for you to have conversations with leaders. It creates a pathway to partnerships and connections on a deeper level. You will not be your industry's best kept secret. Your ideas and business will have global reach. So step into your power. Go to hollyshannon.com to launch your podcast now. And now back to our interview. We're in the room today with Ted Rivera, and we are talking um, about NFTs and blockchain and crypto, and more specifically from the artist perspective, because he's in the music world. Um, if you have any questions, please do not be insulted. I'm not bringing people up because I've had a lot of issues with sound, and this is actually going out to my podcast. So if I could ask you to kindly um, send me either in the back channel or put it at the top of your profile and raise your hand so that I know that the, it's living there and I'd be more than happy to share your question, Ted, 
And I uh, did talk earlier and we're excited to certainly answer your questions, especially um, because it pertains to this area. Um, so that all said, let me, um, let me ask you, Ted, has there been a good use um, example of an NFT that provided utility uh, that you might be able to share that either you did or you saw someone else do and you said, wow, you know, that's how it should be done or at, or at least that is the beginning of how it should be done. Yeah, I, uh, I'd like to acknowledge Hakim's in the room and some of the language he's using. I, I, I'm, I'm excited to hear that they're developing tokens that with multi-signature wallets split royalties or revenue streams simultaneously, instantaneously, transparent to the blockchain, third-party record. And that now allows a collaboration of trust using a trustless mechanism like the blockchain and the, and the, crypt, the cryptocurrency peer-to-peer cash system that allows artists to finally go into agreements where the money is known and the money can be split and no one's holding the bag. And so, you know, I, I have this similar technology on a different chain, but in hearing Hakim talk and knowing the value that he's given artists, I'm really excited for what they're doing in the space because I think what, what it comes down to is, is it, it's, it's a trustless third party. And the more we can lean on this, technology to provide systems and, and revenue streams that are transparent and, and trustworthy. This is what the music and movie industry truly needs. And, 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 and this is the competitive advantage that platforms like Hakeem's and platforms like my music are, are, are seeking in the industry as artists, you know, in this independent independent music a lot of the artists are savvy and that's why they're not signing deals is because they understand they'd rather take a little that they know is theirs than go into a system of contracts and and a machine that doesn't necessarily consider them valuable but wants their intellectual property because they know that it's valuable so this is just one example and you know i got in the music business in the sense that i have a platform for movies that i built for myself and knowing the problem in the music industry, I was able to modify the platform for music streaming and, and, and go to compete with Audius and go to compete with Spotify. And so if, if we can provide the artist better value with synchronization rights contracts where uh, filmmakers can now go to an artist's page, purchase a token, that token gives them the right to put 30 seconds of a piece of music in into their into their movie without going to a broker you go to a broker for synchronization rights and they're already there's no price list so you're already at their at their mercy to try to fit your budget into what they have so if you can go to the artist directly and the artist is willing to negotiate the synchronization rights and the price is right there those non-fungible tokens have a considerable value beyond an image beyond a song they have utility so we keep coming back to utility. I really think that that makes the most sense for the future uh, in terms of having it written in uh, to the smart contracts like um, you had mentioned uh, somebody in the room, Hakeem, had done, but also creating that in the experiences. Am, am I, I don't know if I'm articulating that correctly, actually. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, we're, we're using the technology as intended. Again, nothing against the artists who are finding a way to re revolutionize this industry and bring attention to this industry. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, one of the tokens I'm creating is a, is a, a literal purchase contract for a share in a company. And so when you, we, if you purchase a static contract, it doesn't work in the space that I just give you some money and you give me a share. Well, now can that share be negotiated on the secondary market? Not in that state. It would need to be amendable. It would need to have what we call Ricardian features where there are clauses within the metadata that when we sign with a password called private keys, activate a clause of sale. Now that sale will now transfer information like ownership, KYC, AML laws. So the information is transmitted to the database that's maintained by the company to present in an audit to the SEC who your owners are in real time. You need to maintain this information. So the functionality comes into play. That the, the NFTs take on a whole new dynamic when it comes to the next level of coding and, and what's possible. And so because and, and I think it's a good thing for us that the world is so focused on the art and the generative art that um, ideas like the one I just expressed are only being considered by very few. And so, again, you know, this is a competitive landscape and we're just trying to be the first to deliver the, the tools that this technology is truly capable of delivering. So does this apply mostly to the generative art you were talking about? So like if somebody has a collection of 10,000 versus one of one, or is this the same conversation? Well, I think it's, it, I think it could be the same conversation because it's still peer to peer transaction for what, right? What are you purchasing and what is the technology you're using? We're just saying that, you know, as long as there's a real contract in the metadata, as long as there's a real contract that can be referenced, that may be encrypted in, 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 in the blockchain space, that you can recall that information. And that is the understanding. You know, you go to a site, you read a contract and you say, this is what I buy into. I want to do my part to execute this contract. Now, when you send the money to the wallet, you understand exactly what you're purchasing. You understand exactly what your rights are. This is the next level. So a one-of-one one artist who is, say, they're a sculptor, and they create a sculpture, and they take a 3D image of that sculpture, create an NFT, and say, buy my sculpture. If you purchase this NFT, these are the terms. And so in those terms, you may get ownership of the physical piece. You may not. It just depends on what you're purchasing. As for 10000 what am I really purchasing? I am purchasing XYZ, which for, most, for the most part is I get to transfer the file from OpenSea to my MetaMask wallet for this price. That's the basic understanding. Okay, so <laughs> I'm I'm trying to distill down some of these things as as I've mentioned to you before. I'm not sure if I mentioned it at the top of this interview that um, you know I'm new to a lot of the concepts. So talking to me like I'm 10 yeah. years old is totally okay. So I I, f I feel like the next question I want to ask you and what am I not asking you? I'm accused of this a lot. Is it, it, this is a technical space? It's a very easy to easy to operate, but very difficult to understand the total 
implications of what we're discussing. So if we just take it back to the artist, take it back to generative art, there's a whole conversation we could have. I tend to, I tend to stick to what's possible, right? And if, if that's, if that's another conversation we can have, we can have that conversation. But I think for, for artists just simply wanting to monetize their artwork, the space works perfect. Now I myself understanding the the full ability of the technology i have to push the envelope constantly because somebody else will i mean i'm a competitor in a capitalistic environment and and i tend to to focus on the future because i don't and haven't created an artwork nft my first nft that i'm going to create will be a access token to the process of filmmaking so there could be an image, it's a movie poster, it could be one of the cast members from from some of the dailies. I could take screenshots and I can create a series of NFTs, but I'm not selling the image. I'm selling access to a process that gives the purchaser insight and access to the to the filmmaking process. Information, questions and answers depending on the levels that which they purchase, right? And so to br- just bring it back down to the basics, I'm going for utility over image, but I will have an image accompanying the 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 purchase. Does that make sense? Yeah. So uh, I guess the question I would want to ask so that might be a little different where like an NFT for some people might be, um, okay, they did a sculpture and they took a picture and they used that JPEG or that 3D um, image of it. Um, and then with music, we're sort of dealing with an MP3 file. So with what you, the work you do with movies, you're working with like an MP4 file or for the sake of some of the people in the audience who maybe are in the gaming industry, um, assuming that that might be along the lines of an MP4 file. So is it any different, that process? I think the process is storage. And I think what people, you know, the the word decentralized is thrown around too much in this space because I don't think nothing is decentralized myself. Um, There might be distributed information and there might be distributed data, but the process of making decisions, the process of making code is a centralized process and that um, it's about storage. So right now, I think OpenSea is, is hosting data. They're, you're paying them to host an, an image. That image is purchased and that image is either transferred to MetaMask or transferred to your own account on OpenSea. But I still believe that OpenSea is hosting data it doesn't exist anywhere else and that you can recall that the image using your your the, the metadata in your wallet but it's it has to be hosted somewhere so what we've done is saying well if it is a hosting issue who's hosting it who's going to pay for the hosting that's why we see the fees on OpenSea being what they are and then there's gas and then there's fees and those fees are paying for storage and they're paying for server space so what we're doing is paying for our own server space but but charging for access to the information so whether it's an mp4 file or a pdf or a mp3 or avi whatever the file is the problem will always be Who's hosting the information the new purchaser 
is purchasing the information and then where is the new information where's that information being stored so you know the problem right now around music and it's a technical problem is how do you get the nft to be playable outside of the space and and do these wallets have the ability to play the music that you're purchasing and that's the some of the stuff we're working on and other companies are working on because I think that's where the costs are and and those costs aren't known by the purchasers but they're paying for those costs in the term of fees right so they're able to access the music it's just more expensive right now where it's living like on OpenSea yeah like for example um what we did with a movie the first movie to be inserted into a blockchain memory pool I took a movie from a woman filmmaker friend of mine from Cameroon. We paid seven hundred dollars to to take the files apart, transfer them into a format that could be read into the blockchain. Inserted those, paid to insert those files into the memory pool, so she doesn't have to pay for storage. But that that information isn't permanent and forever. So if I paid six hundred dollars to insert a feature length movie into a blockchain memory pool, they can eventually and have the right to prune that data. They won't for a while. So she has some time to monetize her content without storing it. But that had a cost, and so. What we're trying to do is discover what those costs are and then charge accordingly, right? Do you think that um, OpenSea has a bit of a monopoly on all of this since they're the largest platform? I think the biggest tragedy in the whole space, of, and it's an economic issue, and, and I never understood a Giffen good. And a Giffen good is the more something costs, the more people want it, right? That because... Ethereum is a broken system. It's a beta version of something promised, and it doesn't facilitate the volume necessary to have a society work on it. The, the, the developers are receiving these gas fees, these exorbitant gas fees, these huge fees to process transactions because a lot of people invested in Ethereum and a lot of people have what we call funny money where they might have purchased $10,000 of it in the past, but it's now worth half a million dollars. So their, their demand curves are, are low. They're willing to just go in and purchase all this stuff because to them it's like monopoly money to a certain extent. And so OpenSea is the gateway to the Ethereum blockchain. And by having the deep pockets in development and having the ability to host all this data and to move it, and, and there's problems with OpenSea that hasn't, hasn't gone off without a hitch. So it, it, is, it is a monopoly but a monopoly of ignorance. And, and I think it's because as artists, we want the money. We, we need the revenue. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we see the activity and we hear how billion-dollar corporations and their marketing teams are allowing artists to come in from the machine and, and make 500000 overnight because they have this, this, this massive infrastructure behind the purchases. So... What, what we need to do as artists is we're responsible for driving our customers. And then I, I don't use community too much outside of, you know, when I'm talking about my understanding to drive our customers to a point of sale that we feel that they're having true value. So if, 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 if there's $150 in, in gas fees 
and $40 in open sea fees, that's, that's your money. If your customers are willing to pay that, that's your money, but you're not receiving that money. You're, you're trading something uh, for lesser value, right? And so this is where artists need to educate themselves into which different platforms are, are accessible and that have fees to where it could be global customers. At some point, people in sub-Saharan Africa and Latin America and most parts of Europe are not going to pay these gas fees just to join a new music or movie system, right? They'd rather use PayPal. They'd rather use some sort of Visa or MasterCard to pay for this access. So it's really, why do you need a blockchain? What are you willing to charge? How much people are willing to pay? And OpenSea and Ethereum are, are just doing a disservice by by taking the money and and nobody blames them as long as it's legal right yeah i i guess my question would be okay two questions here so if you used OpenSea because it's the largest platform let's just say it's the google of nfts you know where they live or the walmart or the amazon of it whatever um could you use other gas sources like a Solana or Polygon, don't even know if I'm articulating this correctly. Or no, You're absolutely right. You're okay. Absolutely so, right. so you could go on there, you could use other gas structures within that platform um, and still be on the Amazon of NFTs. Um, or my other, the other question I have, and so you might have two different ways you want to go with this, um, if you used a completely different platform, like for example, I've heard of like Rarible, um, how would that work? I mean, obviously you have smaller audience. You're not the Amazon at that point, but um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts are, are that all of these chains, all of these communities, all of these cryptos, these are entrepreneurs. Let's not let's not get it twisted that these developers are are issuing their own coins because they want to become billionaires. And again, if it's legal, there's nothing wrong with it. But as, as content creators, we have a responsibility that if we're going to bring our customers to a platform, we have a responsibility to our customers. And then we have a responsibility to those who, who our wealth will be transferred to in the future. And so if you, if you Google, polygon issues or downtime if you google all these these platforms they all have problems but because we're so new in the space it, it's hard to, to not go for it right now but now is that chain going to be there in 50 years when your grandchildren are expecting that wallet to function is the and and, and when we understand these issues they're not as important right now as, as, as the revenue stream that we can receive. So just be careful that where you're taking your customers is something you really feel comfortable with. And so, you know, I, I don't talk about the technology that I build on, but I believe it's the far superior and the price structure is the best. But this is, a, this is a war of ideas and a war of greed that, that we're involved in right now. So I'm just going to show people something that works, something that's cheap, fast, immutable. And, and I even believe Hakeem's platform is, 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 is similar to that in that what we were trying to do is bring the value to the artist. So these, these other options are all there, but you can go to PayPal. 
you're still responsible for driving driving the process i think what we're doing is we're shopping out the ability of the automated aspect of it right so by using these platforms it allows us with with one press of a button, with one mint purchase to create 10,000 units and have those dispersed onto a platform, that makes it easy, right? So at some point, could you create that system with PayPal? Probably, but that takes an entrepreneur to do that, right? So it's just important that um, besides the, the artwork and besides the effort we put into the art that really get into rooms like this, do our homework by listening to people talk about problems with, with this chain or that chain, fees with this chain or that chain. And then you still need to, as an entrepreneur, as an artist, be comfortable and confident that where you're sending your customers, everybody's getting the value. And that the, a system designed to eliminate unnecessary intermediaries and friction in the terms of high prices is using unnecessary intermediaries and has a lot of friction. So these artists don't know this. So artists need to educate themselves. And hopefully in rooms like this, hopefully I haven't been making this as complicated as it can be, but just tr really trying to keep it as simple as I know how to do, given the, the ability of this technology, right? So, so Ted, what's the name of your technology again? I build on Bitcoin SV. Um, I believe that Bitcoin BTC was broken. It's a 50 megabyte block size or something. We have two gigabytes moving to a terabyte. We'll be at four gigabytes by the end of the year. What we're trying to make is coffee shop money. Okay. And if you can't go into a coffee shop and purchase a cup of coffee using your, your cryptocurrency and not have it cost $35 or take 25 minutes, that's not this technology. Okay. And so, and your friend well, Hakeem, what, what platform is he creating? I believe they're on Bitcoin, but they have a cool layer two solution that interacts with it. So they can accept um, multiple currencies and they're chain agnostic, which is another thing I like about his platform is that they're, they're finding ways to work with everybody because see that at the end of the day, this is peer to peer cash. That's what people, it's not peer to peer investment. It's peer to peer cash. And what it's really designed to do is to open up my business to people in Africa, Latin America, Germany, Japan, China, Russia, without worrying about an exchange rate, without worrying about paying fees to exchange money or paying accountants to, to account for different currencies and the valuation, devaluation of those currencies. And so by using this as cash and we get the money out and put the money into U.S. dollars and then create the accounting around that, we're not speculating and we're not risking. Interesting. Uh, you know, one last thing, um, I had a, a question for you one last thing, but, um, you mentioned something about, you know, is this going to be available to our grandchildren? When I entered this space, one of the things that I found so cool about NFTs is that, um, the artist is always compensated and recognized and, you know, the royalty system is built in. So it's in perpetuity, you know, someone buys their piece of art and they sell it. The artist makes not only money on the first mint, but on the second purchase and so on and so on. 
Um, but do you think the legacy model is in jeopardy anyway, in any way that like something is not being policed correctly in the, um, blockchain that this could maybe be a house of cards? If you go to my pinned tweet, you'll see a video of the, the Ethereum developers and founders discussing the limitations of their system. There's going to be a new Ethereum. This Ethereum chain will be abandoned. The proof of stake model that they have takes them as shareholders in their new ICO, their coin offering of the new version of Ethereum. And so smarter people than me need to be consulted as to what the implications of that is on, on, on what's happening right now on Ethereum. And so, yeah, if you own Ethereum, you may be airdrop new tokens, new, new Ethereum coins, but how does the, how does the old ERC 20 fit into the new system? And, and so ask those questions yourself. I'm not building on Ethereum, so I have no need to understand that, but I do know that that could be a possible problem and that, um, regulators to understand what 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 these ICOs really mean as far as pre-mined coins and all those things that that just common artists don't understand that these are these are terms used in securities and so you know Ripple can pay a fine of a, how many millions of dollars to continue but they were discovered to be in violation so a lot of these problems exist so unless you're on a public ledger unless you're on a proof of work system that isn't necessarily owned by anybody and that miners are competitively um when these these blocks to post to a chain you have a lot of issues and so i've just put all my faith in a public system that anybody has access to and one of the things you do you hear me talking about hakeem's platform i have the same platform this isn't a competition there's many different currencies that we're using and people have many different opportunities to either purchase something from Barnes and Noble on their coupon or purchase, purchase something from the bookseller down the road on their coupon. It's just different, different venues for, for content to be purchased, right? Who, who, who builds on the best technology will have the ability to, to stand the test of time. And so that's why I think, um, we're both making good decisions on providing our artists perpetual money streams because as long as people are consuming data, there's there's fees in and fees in the hundreds and thousands of a penny to be made. But if millions of people are, are creating these hundreds, thousands of a penny, this becomes profitable for miners. So these these things are concepts and I could go off on tangents, but the, this is this you guys gotta know what you're into. This is not this is this is not as simple as we think it is, right? And so to educate ourselves, to stand the test of time, to be able to move through this this landscape with a savvy that says, you know, I'll go on this, this right now, but at some point I might have to tack and go to this, this technology, but right now there's money here. So let's get that money. As long as you're operating legally, get all the peer to peer cash you can get. I love to know that there's good people in the mix of these bad actors. So that's why you're here. Ted. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think, 
you know, and to, to bring up a, a point that Hakeem talks about, I think the good actors are those that are willing to understand that, that there's, that as long as we're all providing each other opportunities, what's called interoperability, that, that we have an ability. I've created a, a, a token that is purchased in Ethereum but issues a BSV utility or access token. And so what that means is I want to provide utility to Ethereum users. How many people are going to have 40 to $80 stuck in their Ethereum wallet because they can't afford the gas to list a token and they can't make a purchase outside of that. They're either going to have to add more money or they're stuck with this money just sitting there. So we've we, we've we've found a way to take Ethereum into a wallet and immediately, without a third party intermediary, deliver a Bitcoin token, and that token now has access to streaming content, access to movies, music, and we're pri we're, we're providing Ethereum users utility on the Bitcoin blockchain, and that interoperability. And I, I know Hakeem's in that in that vein of thought, and we're going that way. Is is what what the real future is to be able to 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 negotiate these different these different economies, and to to for lack of a better term, exploit these economies, but while providing utility. So good actors are those who are providing transparent trails. And those who are maintaining the integrity of the intellectual property for the artists and that are willing to forego the big dollars now to build a system that at scale produces millions and millions of dollars. Who needs billions at the expense of actors and, and filmmakers and musicians who truly are the content creators, right? And so I'm from an industry where a lot of my favorite actors and I've worked with Oscar winners. They, they live in duplexes and mobile homes and apartments and then billions and trillions of dollars have been made off of their work. So as long as people like me and people like Hakeem are embracing this technology and putting the artists first, truly putting their financial welfare first, because we know time and time again, they can't do it themselves. Then, then we'll have to, uh, we'll have hope, and there's a chance for everybody to learn from us. And I've always said, you know, either come do what I'm doing, or come learn what I'm doing, and go do it yourself. Because this is the this is the message. And and as long as you have people like us in this space, there's hope. I believe. And 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 when when you see the Sonys and the Warner Brothers and the Disneys in this space, hold your wallet. <laughs> Oh, it's it's such a powerful ending to to this show. I'm not asking one more question, um, but I definitely want to thank you, Ted Rivera. This was a masterclass in all of these concepts, and I will ask you to come back as my community gets more uh, educated on these terms and starts to feel stronger in the space and wants to go that much deeper. So where, where I'm introducing culture factor as the 101 right now, maybe Ted Rivera's next interview is the 201. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, look, 
again, they, they just have to know that they're in, they're, they're either in over their heads or they need to start swimming and they need to start swimming upstream fast because this thing is changing. And so, you know, the tools and the, the tokens and the, the, the information systems that like Hakeem and myself are providing are really what you're seeking. So know that this space is saturated with a simple model that works for artists, mostly for the Ethereum developers and for OpenSea, but that the future, that as long as we're looking towards the future and understanding this technology to the extent that we can see the future, I'm here in the future right now because six years ago, I knew of uh, my industry was so screwed up and so full of, of theft and shady accounting and, and crazy contracts that I saw the future and now I'm here. Well, we're glad you're here. (laughs) We are glad you're here. (laughs) Everybody to get that IBM blockchain for dummies. Take anything you know and see if it applies and then build a future that is worthy. And I want to thank everybody who who stuck this out because this this, this isn't what people want to hear for the most part. They just want to hear how much they can make. But I think the people that that rode this whole process and, and shared this time with us. I hope we added value and I hope we got your minds in a place that, that can take you to a totally different level than the one you imagined when you walked in this room. That's, that's my hope. Oh, mic drop. <laughs> Thanks for coming on Culture Factor. Thanks for having me, Holly. I'd come back anytime. Mm-hmm.